0: Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk, the white man's wilting did game show trolls The smiling lie of the tail Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 63. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics.
1: Hi, I'm George Takei. You know me as Helmsman Sulu on Star Trek. When I'm not busy going warp factor eight, I like to beam down to Lee's Comics in Mountain View and spend a lazy afternoon reading comics classics from Marvel to DC, from Dark Horse to Fantagraphics, and everything in between. So please spend some time here at Lee's Comics and spend your hard-earned cash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Fun Ideas podcast is made possible by listeners like you and from Lee's Comics of California, selling you what your mother threw out since 1982, online at leescomics.com. Headquartered, the timeline of the monkey's solo years is out. Get it in paperback or hardback, and soon as an ebook on baremannermedia.com or at Amazon. My co-author, Michael A. Ventrella, will be attending Beetlefest and selling and signing copies of it and our previous monkey book there. Uh, He will be attending at the end of March. I'm doing the final edits for the TTV scrapbook, and I will be turning it in soon. I just got the assignment to do articles for Back Issue Magazine on Hee Haw and on Sid and Marty Croft. Uh, The Warren Kramer book proof is back, and now we're doing final, final edits. I'm still working on my own Light Up Your Life travel agency, and of course, The Mad Book, and a possible new Disney book. Our guest today is a major fan of comic books, where he has done numerous interviews with many Golden and Silver Age creators, both legendary and forgotten. And he's a fan of old time radio, where he heads up the Reps Convention in Seattle. Here he is, Sean Clancy. Okay, on the phone today I have Sean Clancy. How are you, sir?
1: all righty how you been buddy
0: i've been doing pretty well uh how are things up in the seattle area
1: <laughs> it's, it's still raining imagine <laughs> that <laughs> yeah it's raining pretty good we get lots and lots and lots of water
2: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> So, um, I usually start out the questioning, if you've listened to my show before, you know, it's like, tell us a little bit about yourself, and in your case, how you got interested in, like, collecting and interviewing, uh, comic book people and things like that.
1: Yeah, I know it's tough to interview a guy who does interviews, so (laughs) I I understand that. I completely, uh... To understand where you come from, so uh, I'll just tell you a little about myself. So uh, I think you and I are the same age. I'm 52, and so we probably grew up in the same time frame in the 70s, where we had to go to the old fashioned, you know, grocery store or convenience store to get our comic book fixes. And um, I started out with baseball cards, mm-hmm. probably late 19, 1976 or 75. So I was into baseball back then, and. Mm-hmm. And after buying up all the baseball cards from Toffs, uh, I saw comic books in a spinner rack at a place called Store 24 in South Lawrence, Massachusetts. Okay. And um, on the rack, I can I can remember the first comic book I bought, although I had read some of the Harvey books, like Richie Rich and such, prior to that, by my mom at bought them and brought them home from, from work and I'd, you know, uh, go through those. But the first comic I ever bought, and bought for 30 cents, was uh, Captain Marvel 49, huh. which was a uh, Al Milgram, Terry Austin, um, Scott, Scott Edelman was the, the writer. But anyways, I saw it on the rack. <laughs> he caught my eye, it was blue and red, and I, I still remember it. And uh, that got me going. I wanted to find the next issue, but I think it was a bi-monthly issue. And uh, so I started buying other comics, like you know Spider-Man and uh, Superman and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And there was also a convenience drug store down the street that, after I'd bought all the comics I could off the spinner rack. And they would leave, you probably remember this, they leave uh, uh, multiple issues uh, because they wouldn't return them right away. So, so if you needed, like, Spider-Man uh, three issues back, they probably still had it on the spinner rack deep into the, deep into the pile. Um, but then I, I went to the drugstore, and they had these things called uh, Whitman three-packs. And they were just reprints of earlier issues with the Whitman logo on them uh, for cheaper in a, in a plastic bag. I brought up all those two, and <laughs> that got me going, uh-huh. and then when I really kicked in was when I saw a Sunday newspaper article of a local kid who had, and it was a big spread color a picture, and it's in his living room, he had 2,200 comic books, <laughs> and I was like, man, 2,200 comic books, how the hell are your kids younger than me, and I'm like 11. <laughs> 11 and uh he's uh bragging about how he's been getting all these comics from his relatives and stuff i said i'm gonna be that kid i want to beat that kid so i put a piece of paper on my wall every time i bought a comic <laughs> i'd write it down and just start counting them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh and that's how i started my like, collecting
0: now did you collect <laughs> did you collect all titles or were you sticking with the superheroes or what were you doing at that time typically <sighs>
1: Boy, you know, I wasn't even into Charlton at the time. Uh, so, so the corner, yeah, the, corners, <laughs> the corner comic store, the store 24, had it mostly all superhero. The drugstore carried everything, mm. like Juno Master, Flintstones, uh, the, the, like I said, the three Whitman three packs. So uh, I did spread over to that. And I was also doing a paper route at the same time. That's where I got my money. Mm-hmm. And I would uh, take the money I made from newspapers and go to this store and buy, you know, baseball carriers or comic books. Mm-hmm.
0: And did you uh, get into collecting back issues at that point, or were you aware of them being sell- sell- sold anywhere? <laughs>
1: this, this, it's, it's funny you bring this up right now, because I'm going through, a, going through a, a, a renaissance trying to figure out when I started collecting back issues, and I saw Mile <laughs> High Comics just mentioning when they bought the mail order business in 1978. Something and
3: like
0: that, yeah. uh,
1: June of 78 I mean they just posted like two days ago on Facebook and I'm like I, th- I think that's the time frame I started trying to collect back issues because I remember seeing their ads inside the comic book mm-hmm. and I said uh, and I remember mailing her calling I can't remember which asking them how to do it and they sent me like a uh, a catalog saying you had to do a $10 minimum and, or an order sheet, not a catalog. Mm-hmm. And that you had to list alternatives. And I'm like, alternatives? Well, I had a couple of issues, like Avengers 164, 165. And I didn't have 166, which is the trilogy issue with John Byrne and Jim Shooter with Counting the Fire. So I never had the third part. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh man, I, I need to find out how this story ended. So I put that as one of my options listed some alternatives got a friend that down the street to chip in with me <laughs> and we both we both sent away for these uh, comics about you know it seemed like a lifetime back yeah. then but about four to six weeks later <laughs> we got the we got a package of comics it was almost all the alternatives Aww. and I was like oh man I, I didn't get that third part No, this was probably when I was 11. I didn't get that third part until I was in my late 20s. I couldn't find it. Could not find that issue anywhere. So there were no comic stores in in our suburban area. Hmm. I didn't know anybody else who really collected comics. I was the only one. I tried to get my friends into it, but they only uh, started and stopped after a couple of issues. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any friends who were also collecting when I was collecting. And so I didn't... uh, Uh, I I stopped collecting when I went to high school and met girls, (laughs) and then then I got uh, married and moved to Seattle. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And when I got to Seattle, I went to my first comic convention in 1991. When I saw I saw a sign saying Stan Lee will be at the Tacoma Dome in November, and I was like, "Man, I'd love to meet that guy." So uh, I went to my first comic show, and. uh, November of 1991
0: I met Stanley and and you weren't you weren't collecting at that point you were just
1: you, I was you... dabbling when I moved here I wasn't really collecting at all yeah. and I just saw a sign at a bookstore actually uh-huh. uh, it was a paperback used bookstore and there was a flyer on the wall and I got me interested in uh, buying uh, going back into comic collecting hmm. <laughs> and I haven't stopped
0: since wow and uh do you pretty much collect everything or do you have uh, special likes or uh, anything you're proud of that you've completed or anything like that <laughs>
1: uh, well so the golden age side of things I didn't get into until like 1995 or 6 mm-hmm. when I made my first deal it was all money I didn't care about golden age comics I thought they were stupid <laughs> I
2: thought,
1: <you> know, <laughs> I thought they, they, couldn't, they couldn't hold my attention you know I saw them at the library and I was like God, oh, these things stink so um Uh, But when an opportunity arose at uh, my local comic shop that I started joining in 92 and around 1995 or 6, I think, um, they had a couple of Golden Age comics and they were looking to get some money to uh, buy a collection here locally. So they were starting to discount some of the comics they had on their shelves. And that's when I started thinking about maybe buying a flipping comic. And, uh, <laughs> so I started buying, buying them from him and and thought it was easy
2: because
1: mm-hmm. I was making money. Yeah. And uh, uh, got burned a year later on buying comics through the uh, little nickel. It's
0: like a, a one ad or a yellow page. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you remember
1: that. You remember that thing?
0: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it be a thing. I, never, I never bought anything through it, but I think it's because I kind of heard rumors about things. <laughs> Were you you sucked into it?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it, it's like the uh, precursor to Craigslist. You know, yeah. it was like uh, oh yeah, this would be cool. And you know, uh, you know, also internet was starting to come out, and I just joined AOL at that time. Mm-hmm. So, um, and AOL used to have message boards. They did. Um, they're like uh, what you would consider Facebook uh, pages or CGC forums. Well, before all that, they had AOL message boards. Oh, that's yeah. where you started wheeling and dealing. In the (laughs) mid-90s. So anyways, I bought some comics here locally from a guy who uh, had a a lot of gold made. I'd seen him at some shows. I went to his place in uh, British Columbia, and uh, he told me, you know, these are the exact issues that weren't used for the Gerber Guide. After the Gerber Guide photographed a bunch of comics, they had an auction uh, or sale, and he bought them from Ernie Gerber. Mm. Not realizing anything about restoration, I bought, you know, you know, ten grand with the comics thinking, man, I'm gonna make a killing and uh <laughs> found out, you know, later when I was trying to flip them that yeah, these things were restored and I saw I didn't I didn't even know what restoration was. I thought, you know, restoration was like cars, it would it would improve the value. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But it didn't. Mm. And so I learned a big lesson then. Mm, okay. And uh um uh, so I started I started, when I was flipping Golden Age. I started reading some of them, and I started getting attracted to and drawn to the, um, you know, the artists like Matt Baker, Alex Schoenberg, L.D. Cole, and uh, that's how I got uh, suckered into it.
0: Mm. Now, is that your preference now, or do you just like a smattering of everything, like Silver Age and Bronze and everything else? Um
1: I, t- I don't know how you are, but I, I, I have an affection for Golden Age and Bronze Age, and I could care less about Silver Age for some reason. Oh. It doesn't do anything for me, you know, except for key issues, and it's just money mm. for me. I just, uh, I, I like the time period I grew up in, obviously, In yeah. the Golden Age for, for the nostalgia, but the Silver Age just, there was so much of it, I guess I saw, yeah. in the 90s, that it didn't it, it, it didn't hold an interest to me to hold and... You know, I, of course, i guess some of the key issues for yeah. investment purposes, but n- not because I like them. Oh. <laughs>
0: yeah, for me, it's like, uh, I like anything older than the 80s, pretty much. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter what it is. And I don't really have an affection for any particular... Uh, time period, it's just, you know, I I would say my favorite time period is between 1930 and 1990 on everything, you know, TV, movies, comic books, you know, it's like, that seems like when everything was done right, and it's like when Marvel started doing Secret Wars and they did the Crisis over at DC and all that stuff, I was just like, I'm done, you know, it's like... (laughs) You know, right? I enjoyed it. The weird part is, I enjoyed it at the time, but later I got rid of all that stuff, and I just said I'm done. You know, and it's like, and of course, I I have the emphasis on Harvey and everything else. But you know, it's like I still, uh, I still like Marvel and DC to a point. You know, and I am collecting some of those facsimile editions that come out now because I think they're kind of neat, actually. (laughs) So.
1: Yeah, I've been buying them up uh, by the truckload. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, for two reasons. To send a message to Marvel in D.C. that, that these should probably so better than their newsstand stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and that they should
2: probably start revisiting why. Yeah, And uh, I, I don't buy, I think the
1: only new issues I buy currently are uh, Conan. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: only because I can pick it up and read it and not worry that I just missed 20 years worth of history yeah. and uh, maybe Jonah Hex if it comes out and sometimes I collect by uh, artists that I prefer like Jim Starlin mm-hmm. um, he, he hooked me with Avengers Annual 7 Yeah, one as soon as I saw Avengers Annual 7 I said I'm going to become a comic book artist so I started making my own comic book I started drawing it I, I got to like 12 pages and then uh, got distracted <laughs> and, uh,
0: <laughs> I was going to say what happened to that
1: career <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I actually still wanted to become uh, uh, an artist. So um, Mm -hmm. uh, going into high school uh, in Massachusetts, you can go to a normal high school or you can go to a vocational school. And the vocational school had stuff like major appliance, cosmetology, uh, uh, cooking, uh, automotive. And I took, well, they had commercial art and they had drafting. And my buddy at the time, who now works for the IRS, um, (laughs) convinced me to uh, put down uh, drafting as a second choice um, in case, because it had something to do with drawing, in case commercial art was full at the high school. And, of course, I'm sure when the high school saw someone wants drafting, well, let's put them in there, Uh uh, because no no one was picking that thing. And so I got into drafting, and... uh, you know, in drafting I finished my blueprints and drawings on mechanical gears and stuff, and then on my spare time <laughs> just started doing fantasy drawings because I was also in the Dungeons and Dragons in high school. <laughs> uh, so uh, I still have a lot of those drawings still left. <laughs> and and then when I left there, I went into engineering and uh, never, never pursued commercial art because engineering was paying so well mm. that I didn't want to take a step back and wanted to get out of a low-income area hmm. that i was in uh so i just kept going in that route and i'm
0: still involved in that area today mm-hmm. that sounds like uh, like the pattern my dad did he he started <laughs> off in drafting then he did engineering of course he ended up going into high-tech sales when it was very lucrative way back when so yeah <laughs> but yeah, uh,
1: uh, yeah yeah we i wanted to uh contracting so when I moved to yeah. Seattle in 1991 the economy on the east coast was uh, pretty bad banks mm. were closing up at that time I don't know if you remember those time periods 90 and 91 was pretty bad um, I had a, I, I worked in an engineering company for three years a big one mm-hmm. uh, and for three years where they were laying off people all around me mm. and uh, I had a uh, sister-in-law that lives in Seattle and she
2: convinced us to give this a shot because it was growing economy and uh, hey. when
1: I came here I decided to try contracting instead of engineering hey. and I did design at a contracting firm and then it went, uh, it went out of business in 2002 and uh, I started my business up in 2003-2004 hey. and took a lot of those employees and
0: That's where we're at now. That's cool. It
1: Um, affords me the luxury of being able to buy all the high-end stuff that I've been buying, including artwork.
0: Right. Now, of course, you're you're just now saying you've been a long-time collector and everything like that, but uh, how did it branch off into, like, say... I, I would call you a historian. You may not do it the same way I I do it, but you, know, you interview a lot of people, and I know you have a a, a love of collecting uh, original art or recreated original art and things like that. How did those things start coming out of this love of comics? Um, see, I was twenty on my 29th ninth birthday, so it's
1: at ninety six. Ninety six. No, maybe it's thirty. I'm pretty sure it was 1997 June of nineteen ninety June of uh, June of 1996 and ninety seven. I went to a comic show that was on my birthday <laughs> and uh I went there and was going there to buy a Conan 1 <laughs> I, I, I said you know what I got a couple hundred bucks let me go buy a Conan 1 I've been procrastinating I, I know it's readily available but let's get this over with so I go to the show and <laughs> I walk by the table and there's a guy selling artwork and it's uh It looks like prints. I mean, they were so nice in Mm -hmm. color that, and they were golden age drawings of Hawkman and um, the Black Pirate. And I was like, man, this is the first time I ever saw an artist at one of these shows. Mm -hmm. So uh, I asked him. I said, "What's this all about? These prints?" And he said, "No, no, no, the original drawing." I'm thinking, man, I'll never be able to afford these. And he said, "I said, how much is this Hawkman?" It's like a. Yeah. Um, now, for, for once in a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And the guy's name was Sheldon Moldoff. Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> and
1: uh, Sheldon Moldoff was there just selling stuff. And I bought it, took it home. Wife loved it. I uh, contacted him again because it was a two-day show. I went back and bought another piece. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he told me he would be in Uh, these were the last cop physical copies he had because he was trying to go with a, a software program. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he hadn't gone online yet, mm-hmm. but he was selling like uh, floppy disks of his uh, index. But uh, I wanted physical copies, so I bought the three volumes that he had. One of them didn't even have the pages cut. I mean, they were all they were all merged together, so I didn't Ooh. cut them. So he hadn't even done that. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm go- I was going through these books, and I'm like, and I don't have any. Uh, any friends that are interested in doing what I was about to do. So this is all on my own. And I go through this American the who's who and look for all the weird names. Because if I go for like the John Browns and John Smiths, there's gonna be thousands I'll never find these guys. Right. So I was looking for the weirdest names. I tracked them down. Uh, took several times. I mean, this is back in the Yellow Pages and stuff. Wow. And uh, contacted probably, I want to say about 50, 50 artists and writers and stuff at that time mm-hmm. that had never been contacted, by the way. Like, there was like, a guy that was living in uh, Vegas, His mm-hmm. name was George C. Wilhelm, mm. and he was, uh, <laughs> he was a fiction house artist that... Uh, he uh he died a year after i got and that's what about oh. but anyway in fact he was terminally ill when i contacted him and he was uh bragging about the the good news the good part about being terminally ill he says i can have steak with butter now and uh, <laughs> no problems <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: yeah he was he, he made me laugh but he was talking about his war experiences about i mean he taught me a lot about world war ii he was talking about uh the chin straps on helmets when you're in the infantry you don't ever put this tin strap connection on because if a bomb goes up near you the concussion from the explosion could snap your neck because oh. uh, your a helmet will act like a parachute and just blow your head you know pull your head back and snap your neck Ooh. and uh, I was That's like a... man I never even thought of that <laughs> so, I <have> so, neither. <laughs> yeah, so stuff like that mm-hmm. and I, I tracked down as many as I could. Mm -hmm. I couldn't record anything because I didn't know
0: how. Oh, that's what my next question was. Were you recording some of these? (laughs) (laughs) It's like...
1: Yeah, I I gradually tried to. uh, The first guy I ever tried to record was another Fiction House artist by the name of Art Saf. Mm S-A-A-F. And he also worked at D.C. later. But he started his career at the... uh, doing Fiction House comics with uh, George Tusker. In fact, George Tusker put me in touch with
2: him. Mm.
1: And uh, he was with uh, Nick Cardi and Bob Lovers, and they were all friends in Fiction House. And uh, Artsap was the first one I tried to do it. You know, I went to Radio Shack, bought a recorder, Mm. and uh, had of these mini cassettes. And I put it in, (laughs) hooked it up to the phone, and did the interview, went back to listen to it. It was one of those recorders that uh, only recorded when it heard noise. So, uh, or, or you know a volume, oh
2: and
1: so it was a one sided conversation,
0: yeah, <laughs> I have a few of those, like, but I, I wasn't doing the radio Shack bit, but I have some of those earlier conversations, I was like, no,
1: <laughs> yeah, so it sucked, you know, so the real first official interview that I did that I actually went to publication with actually was with john uh uh is John cook um, uh the conflict artists magazine editor uh.
0: Yeah, John uh, Cook John Cook Yeah, it's
1: Cook, (laughs) okay
2: So
1: John Cook We wanted to uh, Well, first off I I found Tony Dizamiga The guy who did Jonah Hex How I found him Mm -hmm. Was I was buying Some artwork Or comics To eBay And a guy named Larry Crook Had ran across Tony And nobody knew Where Tony was For 20 (laughs)
2: years
1: (laughs) And uh, and, uh, he created Jonah Hex (laughs) And so uh, uh, I hooked up With Larry Got in touch with Tony, bought all of Tony's artwork, and then found out John was looking to do a uh, Filipino artist issue uh, comic book artist, Mm. and asked me if I could uh, interview Tony. So I did my recorded, which I still have, uh, a real cassette with the phone, Mm. and uh, did that uh, interview, sent it to John. Thank God I made a copy because I never got it back. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't get paid either, by the way. <laughs> so I did it for free. And uh, he published it, and it was, um, let's see, I think it's 2005. So that was the first one I ever got published. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I gave all my contact information to Roy Thomas on Alter because I was a fan of Comic Book Marketplace, probably you two.
2: Yeah.
1: And when the Comic Book Marketplace stopped being published or right about there, Alter Ego came
2: out. Right.
1: And so I started reading Alter Ego, and so I wrote to Roy and told him I've got all this contact information for for all these artists that nobody's ever bothered to call. And uh, so he hooked Jim Amish, and Jim Amish and I were pretty good friends for about eight years
2: mm.
1: <laughs> and we had, we had a big falling out over the Matt Baker book but uh, mm. well, prior to that <laughs> uh, I, would, I would help him quite a bit on his research and getting in
2: contact with some of the artists not all of his contacts were through me but a majority of them were yeah
1: and, uh, so still doing today. There's still a few Golden Age artists still alive.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like I
1: said, I didn't, I didn't have really a lot of interest in the Silver Age guys, so I didn't really interview those guys. Right. And now I'm interviewing 70s guys because, uh, I grew up in, yeah. and uh,
0: they're still, they still got memories and they're, and they're in their
1: 70s now <laughs> anyway uh,
2: just, just hitting 70s yeah. yeah
0: that's oh. <laughs> um, what was I going to say um, what, what, who's probably the most obscure pure person if there is one uh, that you found or uh, the, just the one that made you the happiest of discovering uh, on your golden age uh, interviews <laughs> Okay, so I don't know
1: how much time I got for this, but I'll tell you the the one I'm proudest
2: of. Okay, okay? so so
1: everybody has been interested in Matt Baker. So so was I in the nineteen nineties. Nobody knew anything about Matt Baker. You just heard secondhand information from, like, you know, Jack Caven and, and so. Um, um, I recall Ray Osrin was one of his inkers at St. John. Mm-hmm. So I wrote, wrote, wrote I wrote Ray. Ray and I had a friendship for about three years before he died. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he gave me all his memories um, and stories, but he had gone through a divorce and his ex-wife had all his photos and stuff. Then after he passed away, I struck up a friendship with his ex-wife. and. so we got to talking, I interviewed her, she's in the, uh, she's one of the people who we quote in a Matt Baker Art of Glamour book, by the way, that yep. we did in uh, 2011 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, in her stories, I was asking her who was Matt Baker and Ray Osborne friendly with, and she said a guy named Frank Gisto was uh, pretty good friends with them. and uh, I'm like, who the hell is Frank and, uh, you know, so I'd go online, and I'd spell it, you know, G-U-I-S-T-O, you know, the normal way. And I couldn't find this guy for my life. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? Maybe. They just heard it wrong or spelled it wrong. So I said, let me mix it up. So I wrote G-I-U-S-T-O. Boom, one guy in New York. Still
2: wow. alive.
1: <laughs> and it's still, this was probably 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. So I called him up. And I said, uh, "Did you know Matt Baker, the guy who used to drive comic books?" And he said, oh, "Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know I I him very well. I know him very well." <laughs> I said, "He says I have drawings from him, I have letters from him, I have wow. Yeah, we were best friends." And I was like, "Good God!" So I, I was at work when I called him, and I wasn't anywhere near recording him. I said, "Oh, hold on, hold on, Drake. Drake. I'm
2: let me run to my house." <laughs> <laughs> record this while it's still fresh in
1: your mind, and before you're influenced by outside forces. So I I run home, you know, close up my office and get the hell out of here and go, run home. Turn on the recording device, and it took about a half hour. And uh, in that half hour, he went into his, uh, you know, filing cabinet and pulled out some letters and stuff from him. So we got to talk, and then we became good friends, and he's still alive. He's, uh, He's 91, still living in New York in Flushing. And uh, he's quoted and bought the artwork and photos from him. But uh, Matt Baker was one of those guys I always admired. Mm-hmm. And so that's the one I'm most proud of because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, spelling of his name was weird. <laughs> I doubt anybody would have found the guy because he wasn't in the industry. He went into advertising mm. after the 50s. Yeah. And uh, in fact, here's a side note his wife, Frank's wife, and Vinnie Colletta's wife were in college together. Oh. So. Frank. Frank's wife hooked up Vinny with his wife
2: and Mm. (laughs) Frank is the one who got Vinny
1: into becoming a comic artist. (laughs) They worked together in an advertising firm and he told me you should try comics. (laughs) So Yeah, stuff like that. Um, so that's one of the most proud the most obscure. Yeah. Good god, that's a tough one. (laughs) I remember calling up waiters call I had was uh what the hell's his name um um uh, Marvin Stein is that right Marvin Stein who worked at uh, Jack Kirby's just well, um, right, uh, yeah. yeah I just remember calling him him telling me he wasn't feeling well Calling back later didn't pick up his phone found out the next day he died Ooh, <laughs> yeah that was the word that was the weirdest call
2: uh-huh.
1: um uh, the most obscure. I remember going through my Gerber guides
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, finding Leo Amelia mm. on all those early action covers and the adventure covers from DC. And I went and looked them up, and I found his name and he was supposedly still alive. <laughs> so I call him up and it's his son, it's Leo Amelia Jr. <laughs> and uh, he's still like 75 years old and he's talking about his dad and about his days in comics and more. he was more renowned for a, being a sports artist
2: for uh, newspapers and such. Mm-hmm.
1: And then Leo dies in a couple of months. A couple months after that, Leo died. Oh, and wow. uh, that was probably one of the obscure guys i i kind of remember tracking down and calling mm-hmm. um so and you know all the uh you know the, the ones nobody heard of like at the harvey place
2: right you know
1: stand harvard and stuff and Th- those were actually
0: referrals yeah i was gonna uh, say <laughs> i was just gonna ask i mean it's like usually it's like word of mouth after you get an initial contact right
1: yeah and if you treat them right and you know yeah. you always praise their work and you know you, you don't you don't try to ask the tough questions, you know.
2: Right.
1: You know, try to get them to gossip or not. You have to know them well enough for that. Yeah. And when they tell you the tough-
0: It's like yeah, you know, it's the most juicy thing. I can't tell. I can't say this on the record. Oh, well, tell me anyway. And uh, yeah, I've, d- I've done some transcriptions of your interviews, and I go, wow, that's cool stuff. But I, yeah, can't use it. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> but it, like I tell the guys I interview, I yeah. won't print it.
2: But mm-hmm.
1: it's good to know, so I know what to look for down the road. It helps me in my research. Yeah, in getting the the, the real information instead of just hearsay.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, I have a few things like that, and sometimes you can skirt around the issue. Somebody will tell you something. Well, I won't say the name, but this happened, and then you contact somebody else, and they go, "Oh yeah, it was Bob that did that," you know. And they're like, you know, it's like it's just totally direct. It's like cool. Now i know, <laughs>
1: right? Like when I contacted uh, Stanley, Coff- Stanley Kaufman was an editor at Faucet, okay, mm-hmm. and. um he he changed his spelling of his name uh, like three times, okay? Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing this Mm -hmm. Archie's Betty um, video in 2010 and 2011, Mm -hmm. and my partner um, uh, had shown me some of his work previous on documentaries, and one of the guys he interviewed as a movie critic in New York with Stanley Kaufman. I said, is that the same Stanley Kaufman that was an editor at Fawcett? So I email him, and you know, he puts me in contact with him. He says, yeah, that's me. And I mm-hmm. said, great, can you tell me some stories about Fawcett? So I wrote a book, mm-hmm. I said, good. I wrote a book, 2 them got it. All the names have changed. Mm. Uh, he made up names of everybody that worked at Fawcett because he didn't want to get sued. So it's hard to figure out who you know, who's doing all these practical jokes or cheating on their wife or whatever. You know, so you, you don't know anything. He won't tell me. Wow. Just, you'll have to just assume whoever you think these people are, uh, <laughs> that's who they are. I'm not going to tell you. But he never is. He's gone too.
2: Wow. <laughs> um,
0: well, you mentioned that documentary. I was going to ask you about that at some point. So, um, how did you get involved in doing that documentary that Betty's, uh, What's what was it called oh, again? It was Archie's Betty. That's so, right. Um, I, I I should know sorry. this. I own a copy of it. Archie's Betty is the documentary. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs>
1: yeah. So um, so I have to back back up a little bit okay. more. So okay. um, um, let me think how it went. Uh, so uh, one of the guys I contacted uh, and found and got interviewed was uh, another. Fawcett editor named Roy All, and Mm. this is probably 2007, 2008, I'm guessing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so Roy was, uh, Roy All was in a a nursing home, Mm. and um, and he was in his 90s, and I interviewed him, but his memory was sharp. Mm. I mean, he knew everything. Well, he was the editor at Fawcett, who
2: was in charge of the Negro Romance Comics. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: And, you know, the Captain Videos. So, he also told me that he wrote them. Mm. And I said, uh, he said that when you're at Fawcett and you're an editor, you're on salary, they don't pay you to write. So mm. what you do is you have someone use their name, like, and he said he used the sister's name, to uh, submit scripts, and since he was the editor, he hired this woman's name, and so he submitted it, so he doubled it,
2: <laughs> and uh,
1: so anyways, I told Roy <laughs> Thomas about this, and you know, this would be a great interview, and he hooked me up with Paul Herolink with the uh, Fawcett Collectors of America, mm. and I said, there you go, Paul, here's the information give Roy a call um, I got a call like a week later and uh, it's Roy Roy Old complaining no. that uh, Emilio Squiglio uh, who's also a farcist artist and a friend of uh, Jim Amish for instance uh, called and bad me and I said I don't even know who Emilio is <laughs> why would he bad me I don't even know him. <laughs> so he said I just want to tell you uh, I only want to deal with you if you want any interviews with me that's to be with you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, okay, I, understandable. So Roy Thomas contacts me and says, PBS, the History Detectives TV show, Oh yeah. wants to, um, had heard that uh, the guy who was doing an episode on Negro Romances, and they heard that I, I knew somebody was involved in the project. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I'll put you in contact with him, the TV station. Mm-hmm. I gotta warn you, he's temperamental. <laughs> and he, he put down the restrictions that he said unless Sean's in the video with me or the T V show with me, I'm not doing it And I said, I don't wanna to go to New York <laughs> I don't wanna to fly to New York for a stupid thing, what am I gonna say?
2: Yeah.
1: So anyways, uh, they wanted me there. I go there. He backs out the last second. Why am I bring this oh so um <laughs> it's around two thousand nine <laughs> and while I'm out there and uh, traveling at their expense, I go to Massachusetts, because mm-hmm. it's only four, four to six hours away, where, right. and I grew up there. Meet my dad, mm-hmm. talk to my dad about what's going on, and he tells me about, did you know Archie uh, was created in Havel High School, which was the city I grew up in? next to the city I grew up in, and lived in the for a couple of years. But he grew up in, and my mom grew up in, and my grandparents grew up in, and all that stuff. And he and I said, uh, I think at this stage in 2009, I would have heard something by now. This is, that's news to me. <laughs>
0: so that's weird. You think you would have heard it yeah. as a kid or something? You know. <laughs> anyway,
2: uh,
1: that that whole area. Doesn't even you know? There's no statues. There's
2: right.
1: They don't even they don't embellish it at all. And so when I went online, I did some research. I found out he was right. <laughs> and so I started <laughs> contacting the Montana family, his kids, and people who were involved with R D And I found a guy, um, Gerald Perry, who. Um, did an interview or did an article on the connection back in 1989, 1990,
2: and I lived there,
1: and I don't remember that. <laughs> and uh, and you know they had a little get together at our college and all that stuff, which completely went by me. And so I contacted him and told him about what I planned on doing at that time with a book, and uh, he said he would be part of it. and He, he wanted to be part of it. And so okay, so we started as a book mm-hmm. until I found. Uh, one of my my interviews with Harry Lucy's daughter, Barbara, Mm -hmm. she mentioned that the influence for Betty Cooper was her aunt. And I said, is your aunt still alive? She said, yeah, she's 90. (laughs) And uh, so she put me in contact with her. She lives in New Jersey. I found some Uh, interviews of Bob Montana where he mentioned uh, Betty was based on a real girlfriend of his Mm -hmm. and uh, they had dated for a year in
2: 1941
1: and uh, she wasn't open to the idea that she was the influence for it but I convinced her after I found her name mentioned in the strip and all that so once I found that I went back to Gerald this is actually going to be bigger than I thought. Do you have any ideas about? I'd like to go to a major publisher instead of the, you know, like the bare
2: man kind of guys. <laughs> and he
1: said, he said, let me think about um, I have some time. Maybe we can do a documentary. Huh. And I said, okay, sure. I'm open to that. Sure. And we'd be co producers. And I said, okay, sounds good. Never had a real contract. Um, <laughs> We immediately uh, set up the interviews, video interviews, and then figured out all the financial stuff after we got all the key ones, because these people are in their 90s. So we interviewed a couple of people that went to the high school with Bob Montana
2: mm-hmm. and such.
1: Go along, okay, I don't know if you've done documentaries, but that all was pretty quick. Oh, yeah. We did all that in six months, yeah. right? Yeah. Thinking, oh, this will be, be out by Christmas. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, all the tough stuff and money is way after that, the yeah. production. Yeah. You know, music, sound, lighting, you talk about uh,
2: the, the boring stuff. That took four years.
1: Yeah. And uh, and we had several cuts, the test showings, and um, I was really proud of what we had the first couple of times we did uh, test shots and uh, showed to uh, our uh, audiences. And uh, he started... Changing, I, I wanted to look at it as a history detective, like an ongoing anthology where, you know, we could, you know, this is the mystery of uh, Archie's connection to hero. that we could do another video on something else related mm-hmm. to comics or whatever and keep it going, right? Mm-hmm. But he, he started changing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the director and writer. And he had all the experience. So I was just a producer. So I just supplied all the information, the money. And, and so he... Uh, started changing it more, and you saw the video yeah. uh, about him, himself, and so he goes into a, a, a period of 15 minutes about his own history. And uh, that's where we started our mm. And uh, I said, this isn't, this, I don't think this is gonna hold well. Um, I think if you uh, do that, it's a uh, but we could have a much better film the way we started doing it. So uh, when it premiered in 2015, um, right uh, a couple of weeks before it uh, I offered to him buy me out mm-hmm. and he did mm. and so uh, so I don't have any ownership in that but I told him you know I'd help promote it which I did mm-hmm. I went to New Jersey and showed it and went to Seattle and showed it and sat there for questions and answers and I just Listen, uh, uh, when I uh, split with him,
2: yeah.
1: I told him I wanted to take all the unused footage, all my own interviews, and all my stuff uh, with me mm-hmm. under my ownership, and uh, he allowed that. So I still, I could still make my own film if I wanted to. Cool. So I wasn't really happy with it, yeah. but it did nothing.
2: Right.
0: Right yeah i remember you had some sort of issues with that at the time i didn't know the exact reason why but that's you know that makes sense but yeah if you're not in complete artistic control sometimes it is you know you just kind of have to pull your hair and go you
1: know? <laughs> i was really happy wasn't uh i gave advice yeah i told him what i thought um uh, I would like to see it. Um, he, 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 you know, he's a movie critic. He wrote for the Boston Globe. He's a movie critic and a professor at a college. So yeah. he was doing test audiences in the colleges, and the feedback he was getting was the direction he moves the film in. Mm-hmm. And I just told him, in, in the comic book world, I think you're going in the wrong direction. He says, mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to reach a wider audience. I said, If we reach too wide, you're going to disenfranchise all of them. Right. So uh, you know, which, which way do you want to go? Yeah. And yeah, you know, I mean, we had some huge, huge arguments about it. <laughs> and I have you know this is a guy with no experience trying to tell somebody who's done you know three or four films already that he's doing it wrong Yeah. and so um, it didn't uh, I mean it showed well to the local communities but once he started moving into other areas it didn't do well at all Yeah. and so he's lost quite a bit of money
2: Mm, so that's too bad I
1: I like the word I like
0: as an outsider just watching it I liked it for what it was but yeah it was too long and certain and draggy about certain topics if I remember correctly I haven't watched it in a while but the actual uh, discovery of Betty and things like that were actually really fascinating because as a kid I just always assumed Archie uh Riverdale's probably based on something in New York and New Jersey or something I never really thought about Massachusetts you know, it didn't even occur to me you know because I figured everything in comic books was New York, you know, so.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, no, it, it, you know, I had a lot of interviews we didn't use. Yeah. Uh, they both, they, they're all dead now. Everybody in the interview is gone now.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: but I have video and uh, recorded interviews of all that whole area with mm-hmm. uh, a lot of backstory. In fact, uh, one of the... Bob Montana had four kids. Mm-hmm. Two of them lived in New Hampshire at the time. Um, um, one of them's in Maine, and the other one was here. So the Homish in washington state
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he and i he's the youngest son and he and i hit it off great
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh i showed him stuff he didn't even know about his dad he they did not know about betty
2: mm-hmm. so
1: uh that was a complete surprise but and betty had photos of them together so i mm-hmm. what clinched it but uh yeah it was it was pretty you know i'm pretty proud of that the that discovery
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um you know, of course, I tried to do an Archie book since, yeah. and as you know, it's tough to do an Archie book and tell the truth yes. and not get sued. Yes. <laughs> so, so nobody wants to print it. There's right. not enough money in it right. to write the real story for about Archie.
0: Right. Um, backing up a couple steps because you just said a couple things that I just, and, it's, and then I'll get back on this. Uh, the, the stuff you did for the History Detectives. Did you actually appear in that episode, or you said you did not?
1: Oh, I did. Oh, okay. Um, I did. In fact, I'll give you a little hint. That's, that uh, series ran about seven years, eight years. Yeah, something like they that. Wanted me, they wanted me to be a, a frequent guest. Oh. Okay. And the reason why was because when I got there, mm-hmm. they didn't know what they were talking about. Mm. <laughs> they had no clue that yeah. their research team would just. Uh, they'll pro- oh, they. Uh, no, they're not, it's not on the air anymore, so that's okay. Yeah. So uh, their research team was a bunch of people in an office looking on the internet trying to track down, you know, stories that they see in Wikipedia or whatever, and, and it was wrong. Right. Because uh, Alvin, Alvin Hollingsworth, a black artist, was supposedly involved in the project as the artist. I'm mm-hmm. not 100% sure he was, but uh, Roy Alt, he, he was. I mm-hmm. said, okay, if you say he was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and I knew Alvin, and um, Alvin became a fine painter, you know, I talked to him about his comics once. He was ashamed of it, but I embarrassed about not ashamed. He he wanted to be known for his fine art, and Mm -hmm. uh, that's all he wanted to talk about When the one conversation I had
2: with
1: him. Mm -hmm. Um, So he passed away. Mm -hmm. He was dead before the show. Mm. But his uh, widow uh, was pretty close to where we were filming, and I said, well, you know, the good news is that we can go to his widow's place. So we filmed a whole day and a half there, and I hooked it all up. We went in there. They did a lot of shooting. We went to the attic and this original
2: artwork there, pulp comics. Mm.
1: So she still had all the valves and stuff,
2: <laughs> and
1: uh, um, they didn't use any of it. Mm. They they cut they cut the entire episode, which I am in, yeah.
2: into
1: a, like a nine or ten minute segment. And the reason they filmed me was because uh, what they do is they they film several um, historians. Yeah. I can't remember. Uh, Oh, I think wasn't Jerry
0: really wasn't it. Jerry Beck in that one. No, or it might been a different segment. I know he was on one of them, so anyway, it was just
2: <laughs> yeah, not with this one. This,
1: I was uh, on the same episode, we were the last uh, segment
2: in okay. the three segment thing. Okay,
1: and uh, I'll never forget uh, when it originally aired. um uh, uh, my kids were young,
2: hmm,
1: like three, three and two, or three or four and two and uh, it was showed at nine and I said you gotta stay up and watch this oh why I was gonna surprise them you know that day's on the episode and so they fell asleep before because it was so boring (laughs) for the other (laughs) two (laughs) segments they fell asleep before it happened so uh, I did get a call uh, from three people because I didn't tell anybody I was gonna be on the show you know some people would tell all our friends and all. I didn't want to tell anybody and so uh, a friend from back east called me up in Maine because it was showed three hours earlier because yeah. of time difference so I didn't know that
2: yeah.
1: and uh, so he called me up and told me before it aired here at the in Seattle the, all about it
2: mm-hmm.
1: and a guy in New Jersey a Golden Age artist named John John Bulkuis who passed away last January he called me too mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't even know he watched that show <laughs> and my dad and my dad but I didn't tell either yeah In fact, my dad calls me every time it re-airs. So uh, um, those are the only two people who called me. And then one more person, I work in heating and air conditioning, and a couple days later, one of my suppliers from Thermal Supply, where we buy material and stuff, uh, the counter guy who sells me stuff, showed up and said, I didn't know you were in a comics. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs)
2: uh-oh. Nobody at
1: the the office knows anything about you. So uh, now everybody, Right. So he told everybody about it. I didn't know you were such a great historian. And I said <laughs> I don't know about great, but I was on the show. Yeah. So it was uh, that
0: part was fun. I must not have known you then. I guess when that aired, because I remember the 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 that story, but uh, I'll have to look at. It. I know all of them at least until pretty recently are streaming online on the PBS website or something, so you can watch every episode. So I'll probably have to take a look again. And see. <laughs> well, but, they,
1: they sent me a DVD of it. And, yeah.
0: Uh, um, uh,
2: photos and yeah.
1: all that good stuff. What they do is they, they each segment is subcontracted. Um, mm. So, a uh, division that did our section was called Lion TV. So, Lion TV, they, they go out and say, Who wants to do this segment? Who wants to do that segment? So, they have all these people from you know college programs that are mm. learning the trade and they get together and they go film the segment. And the the, the um, uh, I can't remember her name, but the, the main woman they have like three experts. Right. the show, and yeah. the older woman, who was a college professor, mm-hmm. was in our segment, and she's supposed to know all this stuff, and I had to fill her in, so she knew <laughs> what she was talking about.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, funny. it was, they interviewed me extensively, yeah. and they only used me for, you know, I don't know, a couple minutes. Right. But it was fun. It yeah. got, make some exposure, and put my name on, and I, I wanted to do it. If I was ever to do any type of things with historian stuff
2: down the road
1: i thought would be a, a nice credential and uh it helped yeah it helped uh and then
0: haven't done one since yeah i guess well i guess that answers that question um uh i was wondering if you had participated with johnny harvey's uh ghost empire the harvey uh documentary he's working on
1: um, he did contact me. Oh, okay. Um, I, th- I think I think I mentioned this to you before, but uh, he contacted me and uh, told me he would wanted to do. Uh, um, he was doing something. He was going into Portland mm-hmm. for something. I can't remember who he was talking to talk to. Uh, it wasn't you though, because mm-hmm. I recommended you instead of me. Oh. Um, but uh he was going to Portland and wanted me to go down there and do an all day interviewing stuff. I said, Well, it's you know, like three three hours one way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if I can take that much time and you had just moved to the area yeah. maybe six months before that. And um I just I said you knew more than me as far as I knew yeah. about Harvey <laughs> and he said he didn't know you were in Oregon and I said, Yep. Yep, yeah. it is. this a reason. And I thought he got in touch touch with you. Did he
0: you did honest? get in touch with me, but ironically not at that time. I think he called me. But uh, how he finally got me on the interview is, is almost a year ago now, last April. No, last February, excuse me. So it has been almost a year. Uh, he flew me down to L.A. So I did down in L.A. You know, so uh, But I brought my, uh, two suitcases full of uh, comics, toys, and everything, and I was like sweating bullets because I never bring my collection around like that. You know, it's like. <laughs> but nothing got significantly damaged, you know, I, I will say that, you know, and, uh, you know, it turned out to be a pretty good thing. They, they shot, uh, footage of me all day, and then I was exhausted. I mean, this is really, really quick. So I went in the other room and took a nap, and they took all my comics and were, like, shooting pictures of them and, <laughs> while I slept. And then I got up later and go, what's going on? Oh, we just finished shooting all the toys and everything you brought. Oh, cool, thanks. And then they took me to the airport and went home, and it was like, the quick, like 30, uh, what, what would three days be? You know, the quickest three days, 48 hours or something, Is like wham, bam, done, you know? But, uh he's in the that phase that you're talking about that you said on the uh archie's vetti where you know it's like he's got post-production yeah yeah, he's gotten the interviews but now he's trying to raise more money he's trying to do the music and trying to do the editing and trying to do this so i don't know how fast he wants to get it done this year which i hope he does but i know how that goes i mean i'll
1: give you i'll give you an example i don't mind talking about cost so like in a fair use lawyer Just because you can't, you know, can't use the image, of like for me anyways, on our film, we couldn't use the archie image on the front. So on the, uh, you know, on advertisement or on a cover, but we can, you know, Bob Montana was a fair game. But we had to hire a fair use lawyer and he cost like 60 grand. It It was ridiculous. And I had to do all the research. So I had to go like, you know, we had to hire someone at the library conference (laughs) to go do all the research for copyrights for every image. I mean, I got a spreadsheet, you wouldn't believe, of uh, all the images that we used and didn't use, and when it was first, if the copyright was expired and such, uh, it was painstaking.
2: Painstaking.
1: Every image. And then you had to have a, a, not a stenograph, but you had to uh, type up the entire Discussion from the film, line by line, line item, and then um, so you have a recording in case you're doing the uh, for the deaf. Um, uh, so uh, I can't remember sub- what it's called. Uh, subtitle. Yeah. Subtitle. <laughs> 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 so it was just horrendous. Uh. The most unsexiest stuff that you can think of on a film. Yeah yeah, yeah. a lot of people don't
0: understand that yeah, I've done a lot of film production but most of, strangely most of the stuff I've done in my career has been on the front end so I've either been interviewed or I've been interviewing or I've been running like camera or something like that, so I've never done like the back end editing for the most part on things, except maybe like this podcast or something, but you know, it's like but I know how to do this quick and dirty, you know, so it's like that's why I can do it, but um, uh but, yeah, it's like, you know, to spend all that time after, its that would kind of drive me nuts. It's almost like when I write my books, if it, if it, the book's done and then it takes another two years for it to be published, that would drive me mad. <laughs> <It's>
1: like, <laughs> Just like the Kramer book, yeah. yeah right, I right. Yeah, that,
0: that, that, that one's absolutely. kind of driving me mad, but I'm supposed to be getting it pretty soon. I mean, I, at the last update I asked Bob, hes well, this is Bob, uh, where is it coming? He says, oh, I'll get to you by January or February. Well, okay. It's almost February, but, you know, <laughs> you know, right. uh, but I will let everyone else then uh, the Kramer family know, you know, as soon as I get it, you know, it's like everybody gets a copy, you know, of the email and it's like, all right. This is the final edit now. <laughs> so that's no, where we're I'll at. I'll
1: tell you what, though, they are happy about um, the approach you're taking and the allowed time and, and, and wanting to do it right and all that. No. They're they impressed with the attitude you have about the book. So no. it's just, I don't know if they've expressed that to you.
0: Yes. I mean, we had our friction at times. I admit, you know, I did and they did, and, you know, but we got it all squared away. And I think, I think everybody's happy. So <laughs> that's what I'm happy about. I think about. so, too.
1: Yeah. I, I, it's an outstanding book. I think it's
0: your best work Well I hope it comes out Well Well, you know It's like I'm using a different publisher And I think that You know Will help too So it's like and, um, no,
1: yours was easy to read. Um, uh, it didn't bore me to tears. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it didn't rehash stuff I already knew. You know, sometimes somebody will. You know, some people have a gnat for trying to explain the story in a comic book. It, you know, take a comic book story and try to write it in a story and explain how the story proceeds. I hate that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I yeah. read the story. I don't need to see it again. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, but you did
0: a very good job, well, thank you the secret I have on all uh, on all my books, and i 've told everyone maybe not on this podcast, but i 've told people I know is like I write books that I want to read, you know it 's like you know nobody 's going to write a book about Warren Kramer. But I want to read one about Warren Grammar, so <laughs> how do I do that? You know, it's like, well, I gotta write it. You know, and yeah, you know, I'm a little bit cl- too close to it. I mean, you know, which is unfortunate. But you know, after time, you know, then I can kind of enjoy my books. You know, it's like it's it's kind of weird. You know, it's like when I'm doing them, I'm like. And get this book away from me <laughs> <laughs> like the harvey companion you know that one drug out for a while and i was like sick of it by that by the time it came out and now i can kind of look at it and go okay you know there's a little there's problems with every one of my books but i try to overlook that and just say yeah that came out pretty well you know i got most of the stuff i wanted in there there's a few things that didn't but you know i'm not going to worry about it so you know <laughs> so no, that's, that's another book that I uh, I liked a lot of, you know. Yeah.
1: Um, no, I, I, I think in the Dennis the Menace one, or the Hank Kitchen yeah. one, that's another, you know, both of those books uh, were almost the same time period. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll give you that kudos, It's going to be a big kudos show here
1: at this point.
0: You know, I, kudos for getting Ernie Cologne to do that cover before he passed. Uh, kudos for uh, getting some of those photographs of... Uh, uh, Ketchum's boyhood home, or that what's there now, or whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a surprise. Remember, we see what people don't realize is the wasted research. Because don't forget, we spent uh, a couple of weeks tracking down a Ketchum family member that had nothing in the same age period. By right, now. right. So it, it all matched out.
0: Sometimes we, it know, happens.
1: and so we wasted time tracking down a guy with the same you know last name that was supposedly a relative of Hanks, and it was it was not to be. Mm. And uh, all the stuff you never see.
2: Yeah,
0: but um, yeah, th- that's a weird thing. I will say this about the Dennis Smith book. You know, it's like people who love it. I mean, who who know Dennis and want to read about Dennis, they love it. But it's like not a very good seller for me, you know it's like everybody's like, Who cares about Dennis the Menace, but it's like you know I put a lot of effort into that because you know I like the character, sorry <laughs> but
2: you know. no
1: i I, I like that too uh-huh. um, yeah, I try to um if i if I have um some tangible. Uh, knowledge or contact information. So I, I help a lot of people with uh, books. Yeah. In fact, I, I get books in the mail for free mm-hmm. that I don't even know what I did. <laughs> I, I have a whole shelf here of books here that I thanking me for contributions. Like Trina Robbins one, like a yeah. Pretty in Ink or something. Uh, yeah. I can't find it. But anyways, I got it in the mail thanking me for the contributions i did to the book and i'm telling you i don't think i did anything i don't, I don't
0: remember <laughs> i have I a few don't of those
1: because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you know by the time you help somebody with research the time it's printed it could be years right so you and, and it may even be just one like one little photo or yeah. a comment or something you know yeah. and you, so you forget all about it yeah but uh, i always like uh, helping somebody who's doing good work yeah and so i have no problems with uh helping you at all well thanks your stuff is great
2: uh, well. keep it up Find
0: me some obscure Mad Magazine stuff. That's what I'm kind of working on now. <laughs> yeah. I, show you,
1: I show you some of the stuff
0: I have Yeah. yeah. So just
1: tell me if you need it, it. Um, enough.
0: The, the other thing I'm finishing up, if we're talking about my books, is uh, the Total Television Scrapbook. And I'm working with the daughter of uh, her name's Victoria B- Biggers. And uh, she found this scrapbook of her dad's that had all these storyboards and scripts and all sorts of things that when I was talking to Buck Biggers, he, he acted like he didn't have anymore you know so that's going to come out in the new book so yeah.
1: You know. wow and uh you got others in the in the pipeline you're thinking about or you well
0: those are the two that uh, well uh kramer that one the sequel to the monkeys book is almost done and then the mad book is pretty much the only one that i'm kind of working on now um and i'm trying to to keep it well, there's a couple I can't talk about because they're being negotiated. I'll put it that way. So, <laughs> but uh, in general, I'm trying to keep it down where I only have like one or two book projects because there's while like, well, there I had like four going at the same time. It was driving me nuts. <laughs> four is a little too much. I, you know, I had the Kremer book, I had the Harvey book, I had the uh, Monkey's book, and I had uh, the to- Total Television book or something. You know, all at the same time. And I'd start working on one, and then I'd get like. <laughs> You know, something back from the other, so I'd have to shift gears and go over there. And it's like, nah. Anyway, but uh, the hazards I, I, of being I, an I author. Don't,
1: <laughs> I, I don't have a writing background at all. Yeah. And it's the toughest part for me. Interviewing's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, but having to write is tough. And, and I'm working with, uh, I told you before, Mike Uri on his, uh, um, what's the nostalgia? Uh, retro Fan. Retro yeah. Fan magazine. Yeah. And so he's making me. Right, intros oh, okay. and, and bridges and
2: stuff, and yeah. edit my own stuff, and yeah. uh, I'm getting
1: pretty good at editing now. So yeah. I, you know, it's, I'm actually enjoying that part. But having to create, you know, I have to write intros to the people I'm interviewing and give them a little bios and how I know them, and then do the interviews and then yeah. you know bridge them. And uh, it's, I don't know how you do it. uh, it, It's it's tough for me.
0: Parts of it come easy, parts of it don't. I mean, it's like, you know, the hard part sometimes is to make it like some cohesive sense out of it all. It's like, I got this interview over here and this one over here, and they're not, you know, how do you link all this stuff together? But, you know. Um, I yeah, found out I had yeah. sort of a talent and knack for it, but also, I, I you know, like I said, I, I write books that I want to read. So um, I'll just mention a couple of people that have done books in the past, like Steve Cox, who did a bunch of books about various TV shows and stuff. And I go, I want to write books like that. So I kind of, you know, really paid attention to how they wrote books and what w- made it interesting and what was boring in certain books, you know. And it's like, it's what you said. You know, if you describe a comic book story you know for ten pages that goes on longer than the comic book story went. You know, let's say, it was, you know, like it's a five-page story, you took ten pages to describe it. Why not just reprint the story and just say, "Here's the story," or at least a couple frames to kind of give a gist of what's going on? But uh, you know, so yeah, I get it. You know, it's like uh, you know, you just try to make it flow and make it kind of conversational and things like that. That's the best advice I can say about how to write. But you know you have to have kind of a passion right. for it too but anyway but <laughs> are, are you working with uh, mike on uh retro fan? i've tried to get something for that but you know he's he's kind of uh odd with me about that he sticks with he keeps sticking me with back issue which i'm fine with uh so <laughs> i've gotten a couple more articles lately and i said you know and i don't argue with him i don't say shouldn't this be over in Retrofan? you know was like yeah you know wherever he wants to put me i'll take it so you know it's like uh so back issue seems to be my domain i've done a few things for alter ego uh and uh but Retrofan is still pretty elusive for me even though i'm friends with michael so i don't know <laughs>
1: One of these well, days. Some uh, His wife does uh, transcriptions, right? And yep. so um, uh, I talked his wife into um, why well, I shouldn't have talked, and I asked her if uh, she was open to taking out transcriptions that had nothing to do with the publication. I would pay her.
2: Mm-hmm. And so for the last two months, uh,
1: she's been doing, uh, I'm catching up on, because I have, literally, you know this because you've done a couple of me, yeah. 50 or 60 uh, recorded interviews I've done over the last 10-15 years that I just never transcribed and so she's been doing those for me um, oh, cool. and, and she's fast mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to go with, oh so she'll listen to uh, an interview and then uh, talk to her husband and say hey Sean knows such and such, this will make a great retro fan article and so he'll contact me, hey do you think you can pull that out and so that's, that's what we're doing oh, okay. so uh, I've got like three assignments that way so far mm-hmm. That's cool, and uh, and the one that's coming out, uh, I'm supposed to plug it. So, uh, yeah, RetroFan Six mm. is uh, in March, March, and it's uh, my my contribution is to June Lockhart. So I did, oh, okay. I actually did the June Lockhart from you know Lassie in uh, Boston Space. I did that interview, I want to say five years ago, six mm-hmm. years ago,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, I was going to use it uh, for a. Uh, uh, our um, radio magazine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That I'm a part of. I'm a part of a radio group here in Seattle called Radio Enthusiast of Puget Sound, mm-hmm. and I have been since 2005. And we were going to publish it in that, but the publish, you know, the, the readership's like 200, two, two, 300 <laughs> So uh, I didn't want to waste it on yeah. that. So, uh, um, so I pitched it to Mike, and he was all for it. Mm-hmm. And so that, and she's
2: still with us, by the way. Right. So. Um,
1: <laughs> And, and and she had a and the reason I was going to pitch it for the radio magazine because uh, newsletter is because uh, she had radio credentials so she mm. started a career in radio and her parents were in radio mm-hmm. and so um, I was able to do a lot of uh, back and forth with her on that which we crossed out we just covered her TV experience for the retro fan magazine so I can always use the radio portion for the newsletter if I choose to down the road yeah and um uh, yeah the, that's another part of uh, interest to me is the old time radio like I mentioned before and you know that because you come up for our shows yeah and uh mm-hmm. and uh, I I got into it through comics mm-hmm. I uh if, if you've got a few more minutes I'll yeah. tell you how that happened yeah okay <laughs> so um I'm in Havreau Massachusetts living in nineteen nine nineteen eighties, so I'm about 13 and um they had those power record comic books.
0: <laughs> I remember those. <that> uh, <laughs>
1: you know, those 45s? Yeah. And the library had them. Wow. And so I'd go to the library, and I'd rent it, and put it on a record player, and burn through those, and uh, bring them back. And then I moved to Haverhill, because uh, I wasn't long at the time I was listening to them at the library. I went to Haverhill, I just moved there. And... um went to that library, asked them if they had any of the comic books on record. And they said, no, but we have all these radio shows on mm. record. And uh, and this library had record players with headphones, all, uh, probably a dozen of them,
2: mm-hmm.
1: all along the floor, and nobody was listening to anything. And uh, they said, you can listen here all day long if you want. So I got the first radio show I ever listened to was Three Skeleton Keys. Uh-huh. and it was a suspense program and Vincent Price is in it and it's about a lighthouse I don't know if you've heard the show but it's about a lighthouse at mm-hmm. night in the fog and an abandoned ship um, crashes onto this um Lighthouse Island Mm -hmm. and it's full of starving rats because there's nothing to eat on there (laughs) and so these rats just swarm over this lighthouse trying to get into these three guys now I'm 13 Mm-hmm. listening to this at the library scared out of my pants yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's how I, that's how I got hooked oh wow and, yeah uh,
0: i'm not sure if well, i've, I've heard two. that ex- exact episode but i've heard many episodes of suspense <laughs> so yes um
1: yeah. yeah they've re-aired that and redone it with different cast members there's probably 3 or 4 versions out there
0: I, I, yeah, guess, I, I guess I got into radio because, uh, well, my dad talked about radio. He says, well, you know, when I was a kid, it was all on radio, you know, and everything. But also, uh, in the 70s, CBS had a uh, mystery theater that was newly produced. And my dad found out about it, and he says, "Hey, they got a new radio show. You can listen to it, you know." And yeah, that went on for a few years. Um, there's actually a book about it too. I don't know if you know Martin Graham's uh, Of course, yeah, uh, yeah. He did a book about that, I believe. He's done a book about like every radio show. So it's like, um, if you <laughs> yeah, think I'm prolific, true. you know, it's like, no, I'm not <laughs> compared to him. Uh, but yeah, uh, I believe he did one about that, and. Uh, you know it's like that's what got me hooked to old-time radio and then uh i was in san francisco bay area at that time and uh they one of the radio stations kfrc switched from a pop rock format to a big band era format and started playing old radio shows along with sinatra and everything else like that so you know i started listening to everything like that so it's kind of cool so and yeah. bend to, been to a few what? spurred backs, and then they went up to your right. uh, to reps. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: I, I I actually forgot to mention one thing. Uh, so before I heard that old time radio thing, yeah, there was a radio live show I tried to listen to, and I'm thinking it's 1980. Uh, I uh, you have to fact check this, mm-hmm. but Star Wars was going to be live on radio. Uh, Lucas <laughs> George Lucas was doing a radio version of Star yeah. Wars, and it, I, it was at like 9 o'clock or something like that. Anyways, I fell asleep 10 minutes into it, and so I never heard it. Uh. <laughs> but uh, it was the first time I ever tried to listen to a live radio recreation or reenactment of a show,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was supposed to be in a Star Wars time with some of the cast members still in it. Mm-hmm. And so that was the real first show I ever tried to to listen to. But um, anyways, just like in comics, none of my friends were involved in old time time radio. I couldn't find anybody else (laughs) that was interested in it. Nobody cared about old time radio, and and I was in New England where Cape Cod Mystery Theater was and Bob and Ray, they were on the air all the time, And um, until I got to Seattle. Costco used to have these cassette, 60 cassette packages Mm. of old-time radio. I don't know if you remember these. And uh, so I started buying those at Costco in the 1990s, and that Mm -hmm. expanded my horizon on other radio shows i never heard of. But I couldn't find a club. The club that I did eventually join, it was like a secret society. You had no idea where they met. Nobody knew where it was. (laughs) There was no advertisement, you know, you had to know the passer. It was uh, ridiculous type of stuff. And, I, and if I had gotten involved earlier, I would have participated in a, quite a bit of original uh, material that they had done in the 1990s because they got a hold of a lot of people like Burl Eyes, mm. uh, John Archer. All these people lived here at the time. They, were, they all were passed away by the time I joined. Mm. And uh, we did get, you know, as many as we could. Yeah to do our performances, and almost all of them are gone now. We probably have, you know, six to seven. We started uh, a couple of years ago, expanding, as you know, into TV, Mm -hmm. getting people that were in TV and doing uh, radio versions of their roles in TV. So we would uh, take a Leave it to Beaver with Tony Dow, for instance, and transfer it into a radio script, and do a recreation of that, mm-hmm. or John Provis, Lassie, or mm-hmm. that, that type of stuff.
2: Right.
1: And uh, we're one of two. I think Spurvac and Reps are the only radio organizations still around.
2: Mm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah.
0: The,
1: dwindling, dwindling yeah. membership. By the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. Speaking of which, uh, when when is the next one? The next convention?
1: Um. I'm glad you brought that up. It's coming up in March. Okay. It is. Okay. Uh, uh, give me a second. You can cut this part out. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> March 27th, 28th, and 29th. Cool. So March 27th, 28th, and 29th, and. Um, if you're going ask me who the guests are. Um, I can't remember the woman who was on Mission Impossible. Uh, um, Barbara Bain? No. Uh, later on? Uh, the wife of, yeah, it's the like the last season or something. Oh, was,
0: uh, Joanne Flug, is that her name?
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not familiar with her TV credits. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm going on... Well, that on was probably... Well, that's probably your most biggest claim to fame being on two seasons of Mission Impossible, so... Uh, she's on yeah, the match? She was, she was on the match game.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: and uh, Diana Canova, she was here last year, too. That's yeah. Judy Canova's oh, okay. daughter. Yeah. Then she was also on Stope. So she was... Um, yeah. Um, yeah, there she is. Okay, so our uh,
2: guest list is... Come on. <laughs> There's
1: a picture, but they don't say who she is. Come on. Oh boy. Uh, I'm sorry. That's a good. Uh, But Tommy Cook will be here. We'll have um, uh, probably Margaret O'Brien. We're still fine, and she's been here a couple of times already. And we're just finalizing that right now, actually. Um, And uh, uh, we have uh, uh, our conventions are Friday, Saturday.
0: Was actually I'll tell you the truth. Um uh, my girlfriend had uh XM sirius on her car and when I drove down to California I put it on the she had old time radio station on there and I was listening to the shows on there when I was doing the drive and it takes eleven hours to get down there and eleven hours back, so I listen to a lot of shows. <laughs> so uh some dragnet, some uh rocket ship XM I think is what it's called. Um johnny dollar uh lots of weird stuff so <laughs>
1: so. Uh, uh, so the guests that i couldn't remember the names of her linda day george linda day
0: george i said joy and yeah. correct me <laughs> yeah
1: and uh, lauren twoies who lives here by the way she's yeah. uh, she was on uh love boat she was yeah. uh, the uh steward that uh, greeted everybody
2: oh yeah. yeah
1: yeah we we had an interview with her live about a year ago so she's uh, she has some good good stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I was unaware of this, but she was fired from that show. I didn't know that until we interviewed her. I always thought she was on there from beginning to end, but she was not.
0: Um, I believe she got, to to make it polite, and she, I believe she dabbled in a little bit too much drugs at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. She, and she mentioned that she wasn't yeah. uh, um, avoiding that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she's can still act, because we had to do a couple of radio shows, so she's uh, trying to, you know, gradually get in. She does uh, local performance stuff, too, and, you know, um, plays. So she's been a good part of our local theater.
3: Yeah
0: the only thing that, that i know about radio that's down here and we i just got one in the mail down here in eugene uh we always have fred crafts radio redux or redo however you pronounce it and they just uh do various radio shows or like in the most recent one uh a version of sunset boulevard but On stage, kind of like how you do at the reps, where you have everyone standing at a mic and the sound effects and all that stuff. I haven't seen uh, many of the recent shows, but I saw Wizard of Oz, and they do a pretty good job, but it's a little more pricey than I like, so that's why I don't always go to those. But anyway. (laughs) Yeah,
1: they tried to get Margaret O'Brien because she called me up and asked me about those people. I I didn't know they even existed until she brought them up last year, so
0: I guess they've been trying to get her too. Oh, to go to w- this thing I'm talking about? The, the Yeah, the, is correct. The Fred Crafts yeah, Radio still, Redux? Yeah. yeah,
1: I still haven't heard any examples of it, so I, I, I'm assuming it's, it's doing all right. Yeah. yeah. And, but, uh, uh, yeah, so the few and far between, who knows how long, much longer we can continue doing it because it's a financial struggle to throw these rep showcases on because we, we do um, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, would pay their expenses in a hotel and sometimes an appearance fee, it depends on who it is. But right. uh, um, I mean, we get about 300 people through the door yeah. and uh, it's it's tough to support And, and why I like our showcases versus the comic conventions, because some of them have the same guests, you know, like Kathy Garver or somebody who's doing a comic, Tommy Cooks even done a comic show. Right. And, um, uh, but when you come to a reps event, Uh, They'll do autographs for free. Right. There's no signing table. You know this. And you get to sit with them, chat with them, talk with them hands on because they know you appreciate them. You're not there to try to make a buck off
2: them. Yeah.
1: And uh, most people aren't. And they know that you, and they have an affection for radio. Uh, Most people I, I know who've done. TV, radio, movies, and uh, plays uh, always find that uh, radio is their most memorable experiences uh, because it was more of a family-oriented atmosphere. And um, so we'll get some guests that come here for free. Yeah, and uh, you know, like Diana Canova is coming uh, oh. uh, at her own expense. So it's uh, it's it's great to see somebody who still has an affection for it. And it shows because when they get behind the microphone and the light comes on, yeah, no matter how old they are,
2: yeah,
1: I mean we had we had Shirley Mitchell who was on the Great of Sleep. She was Lila, you know, with the southern accent and the southern droll. And
2: yeah.
1: um, but when she got behind that microphone, and you close your eyes. It was the same nineteen forties Leela that you heard back in the yeah, day, yeah it's just for some reason uh, voices don't age as fast as looks, so that's yeah. why some people like Jack Benny or Burns and Allen were on radio for you know decades right It's because uh you know the aging of the voice isn't noticeable as as if you saw them on t v and that's why it didn't last as long on t v
0: right Did, Have you ever had Jimmy Weldon up there?
1: Um, he was on, uh, he was, wasn't he, uh...
0: He was the voice of uh, Yaki Doodle. That's his main, biggest claim to fame for uh, Hanna-Barbera. I don't, um, I don't recall, I don't think so. Okay. He he is 90, he's 95, so, but he, he's, he's amazing when he gets behind the mic, and I'm sure you've seen this with other actors. You know, it's like, he'll be sitting there, like, in his wheelchair, and then when his line comes up, like, he springs to life and he's like a 20 year old and he has all this animation and well you know puts all his heart and soul into the the one line and then just go back and do, 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 you know isn't <laughs> and,
1: that amazing Yeah, and that is just you know that's lifelong experience that Doing it as a professional, no right. matter what's going on, you have to be that person behind the microphone. Yeah, and uh, it, it just amazes me because that's how we get great performances. We got so much classic radio performances from people mm-hmm. who are no longer here that uh, it, there'll be a you know a generation after us that'll appreciate everything we're doing right now. Right, and, and we're uh, we're not for profit. I forgot to mention that. So we're uh, so we. You know, we do it at cost. Every, all
2: donations,
1: mm-hmm. you know, dues and stuff like this. We don't make any money, and the board members are doing it for free. Mm-hmm. And, and and that whole um, motto is preserve and promote. So preserve right. what you got and promote what you got.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, so people donate. I uh, mean, Doris Day um, had uh, her radio shows donated to Spurvac. Um, June Lockhart, she had all of her radio shows and transcription discs donated to Spurvac because they're in LA we'll get more than we would uh, but we're uh, I mean they come up and help us with our showcase and we go down there and help them with their showcase they just have more money on higher end Stuff down there than we do, but we, we do the best we
3: can here.
0: Right. I'm surprised that those are the only two shows. I guess uh, for the East Coast, you just get uh, Martin Graham's Mid Atlantic Convention, and maybe they do a recreation there. I don't know. but uh, Yeah, it's
1: a small. What happened was Friends of Old Time Radio was the other one in New Jersey, you oh. know, or Ohio, New Jersey area, and they went out of, or they closed, like. Uh, oh was or three years ago, and 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 Martin Graham's tried to revive it. I don't know if it's still doing it, but I know he's tried mm-hmm. to re, you know, re- you know, yeah. Re- uh, and they have less attendance than we do. Mm. And I just told you we only have like three hundred, so right. they have less than that.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Even Spurvac in L.A., yeah. they only get two to three hundred. It's it, you've been there, yeah. Um, it's uh, I've never been to Spurvac by the way, yeah. but. Uh,
0: Uh, I hear about it all the time. I do have to say this about Spurbeck. One of the most amazing things to me is, is like I will go to people who live in L.A. and I won't name names to save them embarrassment, and they'll say, they'll go, "What are you doing tomorrow?" I said, "I'm going to Spurbeck." What's that? Oh, it's an old time radio convention. They have an old-time radio convention? Yeah, they've had it for, like, 30, 40 years down here. You don't know? No. (laughs) Why don't you go to it? Uh, Oh. You know, it's like they don't know about it. And it's like, hmm. You know, and it's kind of weird because these are people that are in the entertainment business. You'd think that they would know this stuff. And, hmm, (laughs) okay. Anyway.
1: And a a lot of people have no idea that a lot of, um, you know, uh, 40s and 50s actors started in radio or yeah. did radio. Yeah. Even Kathy Garver did radio. Yeah. And, and she's not that old. I mean, she's, old, what, 70-something. But uh, right. radio died in the late 50s.
2: Right. But when she was
1: a little them. kid, she, yeah, she did a little radio uh, in the 19, early or late 1950s. And so she she remembers them fondly. And mm-hmm. they usually always do because it's, it's just such a short part of their career. Right. Rod Serling. Well, uh, you know, his his wife just died. Carol Serling just died. Rod yeah. Serling started his career in radio right. on a, uh, a a writing con. Well, he did a lot of local radio for his college, but he was writing scripts for Doctor Christian in a contest and won. Mm-hmm. And that's how he got his uh, his start and mm-hmm. the and uh, writing and stuff and and uh, he was always that way wanting to do what we're all familiar with the Twilight Zones and the Night Gallery and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that's how he started his career and, and a lot of people are unaware aware of that.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's
0: fascinating. Yes. And, uh, I well, hopefully they, by uh, saying it here, we'll get a few more people that might come up and attend in at the end of March, or go to Spurback. <laughs> I don't know when that one usually is. Spurback's usually in the fall, I believe, you know, but... Uh, yeah, they're like,
1: yeah. they're usually November. Or yeah, October something November. like that, yeah. Because uh, we, we usually don't try to compete, because yeah. uh, we usually have the same attendees right. going to both. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll get people from, you know, New York flying out here for this yeah. event, and uh, but they're all, you know, older, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I'm 52, and I'm one the youngest guys there yeah so um, yeah but we uh, martin gramps though is, a, is a, f- a breath of fresh air yes because he's younger
2: yeah.
1: than us yes he's, he knows more than i yes, do now. i'm
0: 53 yeah, now and, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, yeah. and he's like 20 no he's like 40 like 41 <laughs> or something he's getting up there now but it's like he looks like he's about 20 but anyway <laughs> anyway yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah and even the people who are attending are passing away and yeah. uh, and we have you know a plethora of uh, experts on you know we had uh, members that were either uh, experts on James Dean John Smoke or you know uh, Dragnet and they've all passed away and, yeah. and there's such a wealth of knowledge that's gone with them
2: yeah. that they
1: start to ask me questions
2: Yeah. As, and
1: identifying me as an expert in radio and I'm I'm like, there was a guy here you should have talked to a couple of years ago before he passed away. He knew a lot more than me. So I'm becoming an expert by attrition. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> and it's uh, a <laughs> tough responsibility.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, um, it's been wonderful talking to you. We could always do more, mm-hmm. and we could do it again. But uh, let's wrap it up by uh, just, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Retrofan Magazine and uh, Reps, but uh, anything else you'd like to plug?
1: No, nah, not this time. Okay. No, those, those are the ones that people should uh, pay attention to if they have the time. And, okay. Uh, we appreciate uh, the support.
0: All right. And if somebody wanted to get in contact you, what's the best way to do so?
1: I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm pretty active on Facebook in uh, lots of groups, but it's Sean, S-H-A-U-N, mm-hmm. Clancy, C-L-A-N-C-Y, so you can get a hold of me through that if you need to. Or through Mark. Hey. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs>
0: I'll say, Sean who? Uh, Anyway. All right, Well, uh, pleasure talking to you again. And I want to thank you for being a podcast guest. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Sean Clancy, for being my special guest. Episode number 64 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew, the Slow Poisoner, Goldfarb, and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.
2: Church. The final flicker of your lute jewel's boob tube